0: This is Within and Between, a podcast about the methods and meta science behind developmental science. Hi, I'm Jessica Logan. And I'm Sarah Hart. And we are Within and Between. Hello.
1: Hi. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's a late on a Thursday. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's the only thing between you and happy hour is uh, this call. It's true. Maybe yeah. Maybe that will mean we'll go a little bit faster today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One never knows.
1: Given this topic, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's true. I have my big glass of water. How about you? What you got? Yep. I have a glass of water too, although I always get kind of weird and I don't drink it while we're doing this because I don't want to have this like big gulp sound that our <laughs> listeners have to listen to.
0: You're welcome, everyone.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get dehydrated for you, listeners. That's all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Yeah. Um, this week, our topic of conversation is data sharing. Um, We figured that most people who are in... Education and developmental science have heard of data sharing, maybe mm-hmm. even seen a couple of data sets being shared, maybe seen people at conferences back when we used to go to those with mm-hmm. those little badges that said things like, I share my data. Um oh, cool. I've never yeah. seen those badges. Oh yeah. I have one, it makes me very happy. Oh yeah, I would like a badge. <laughs> so but I, I think that um I think our experiences are similar in that while we both believe that data sharing is an important and uh, next step in the sort of future of the direction of the field, I don't Mm -hmm. think everyone feels that way.
1: Um, I agree.
0: And even some conversations we have had recently with other colleagues have sort of said that they similarly don't think that way. So we kind of hoped that maybe talking about it a little bit, being, having sort of an open conversation around it um, would help to illuminate what it is and why we think it's important and why we think you'll like it, honestly.
1: Yeah. To kind of, you know, continue. I do see a change. I've seen like a, a, what looks like a wave of change a little bit, at least to people in my network. And admittedly, it's probably, it is a very biased network, but, um, you know, I, you, you know, as you know, we'll probably get into you. I, wrote a grant to facilitate data sharing in our field a few years mm-hmm. ago uh we're in year two of the project it got funded um and uh so we we submitted it twice that grant so maybe like three and a half years ago four years ago i started kind of thinking about this and thinking about how we could facilitate our field to do more data sharing and yeah. talking with colleagues then there was much more resistance and lack of knowledge of what data sharing meant than now. Uh, So hopefully that's just going to continue. Yeah. Well, I mean, um,
0: looking at the history of it, um, back in 2013, it was that President Obama signed an executive order saying that Mm -hmm. any data that was any data collected via a federal grant was mandated to then share that data. So this has actually been in the works for quite a while.
1: Yeah. And I remember seeing somewhere, am I right, Jess, it was something like 2012 or something like that. I yes, the institute Oh geez. You're gonna edit. Is it
0: is it institute? Yes, it's institute. Okay.
1: Yep, good. For educational science good job okay it's just (laughs) referred to as i wow Uh, (laughs) it stands for something about institutes (laughs) letters mean something um they what used to be called goal three right which is now called
0: an efficacy grant
1: efficacy grant uh they started requiring data sharing back in before this obama um uh mandates. Yeah, the... it was
0: rolled out with the goal fours first, which were the effectiveness ones, the oh, really big it was ones goal fours. Okay. And then after the goal fours, they they phased in the goal threes and goal twos, which are now eff- effectiveness and development type grants. Um, so those got phased in a little bit later. And now even the goal ones, the really the exploratory aims. If you're collecting data that you're supposed to share those data too. So uh but yeah, they did start a year before that. Okay. So that it was a uh, at the IESPI meeting this year that uh, mm-hmm. Liz Alberro mentioned that the uh, there are like 350 I think grants already by January that were like should be under that rule should be having data ready to be shared um, mm. at this point that started at or before the like at those that turnover that transfer date so there's a lot of people out there who need to be Thinking about getting their data out there and shared at this point. Yeah, and, um, I don't know about you, but I'm not. I'm not seeing them in the data repositories I look at.
1: No, I'm not seeing 350, and I know that because I'm building a data repository. Yeah. And, off, and pretty often, I go to all the other data repositories, and I know that have um, held data that like the data of our field before uh and typically search for something like reading the same key term just to see what's out there and see what they're doing um and yeah that the, i don't see a lot of new data sets related mm-hmm. to reading being uploaded into those data repositories so, so i
0: guess yeah good oh, we were gonna, we were probably both gonna
1: transition <laughs> <laughs> yes great minds Yeah. Okay. So I guess I'll start maybe, probably people are wondering, you know, we've actually talked for the last eight minutes or so, and we actually haven't (laughs) said what data sharing is all about. Um, And uh, and so uh, how I think about data sharing or making your data open is there's kind of two kind of broad approaches to why people might share their data. And I would say more traditionally, people probably think of data sharing related to a paper. So uh, you might not realize this, listeners, but if you've included a descriptives table or the numbers from any of your analyses, a correlation mm-hmm. table, you have included, you have made your data open. You've just made summative data typically open through your publication. Uh, and uh, so that's what I've always been part of. At least traditional scientific publications, mm-hmm. uh, but now more broadly, the thinking is you could open up the data, release the data that's related to a publication at the kind of the um, participant level mm-hmm. or whatever kind of the raw level of your data unit. Yes, yeah. unit. Thank you. Uh, and so, I think a lot of people think of open data that way, uh, data sharing that way. So. Releasing the data, the columns of data, the and the rows of data that are related, that can, specifically to a paper, mm-hmm. and uh, then there the other way of thinking about uh, data sharing is releasing or sharing your the full data of a project, and so it could include or probably necessarily will include data that you have not published before, uh, mm-hmm. but is the full amount of the data that have been collected for a given project. Um. Now, typically, uh, even if you are a federally funded investigator, uh, where the expectation is that your project data will be shared,
0: um, mm-hmm. the
1: expectation is not that it would be shared immediately after you right. collect the data.
0: It's not like you finish collecting data on Thursday and that it's supposed to be up on Monday or anything like that.
1: Yeah, they uh, understand. A grace and... Yeah, they understand the academic system a little bit, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to be that fast, but I think at least for me, a good rule of thumb is after you start publishing up the major aims of the grant, then mm-hmm. you should be considering or thinking about your data, sharing the entire data sets of your project. Right, because um, they, they don't want
0: anybody, you know, the, the idea is you've written the grant to accomplish these three or four major aims. They mm-hmm. want you to accomplish those major aims. And once you've done that, then the idea is open it up to other people. And let let other people have a look at the data. Um, So it doesn't have to happen right away, but it's, you know, the idea being it it happens eventually.
1: Yeah. And you typically, you know, these federal agencies now, especially the major ones that, you know, are investigators that are interested in developmental science might be going to something like the ries nsf nihs of the world um they require kind of data management plans at your grant submission and mm-hmm. i would recommend at that time is when you tell um the granting agency what your plan is for how you release your data and what that's going to look like mm-hmm. um and i've had all sorts of different plans with proposals everything from as soon as the project is completed to as soon as the first paper is published um, to uh, some, I've worked on really big grants with a lot of junior investigators um, and we've kind of put in that potentially that we would hold back some data if a junior invest, like a graduate student is interested in it for their dissertation. Mm. Not, not that portion of the data won't be publicly made available until they have published their dissertation. Hmm. Um, So there, there's all, you can, you can be creative and what works for you. I think that's um, one of the, uh, you know, the, uh, I think one of the misconceptions about sharing your data is that people think that there's this really prescribed way that you have to do it. Mm. You know, as soon as your data collection is done and someone is going to come and scoop your data, or there's all these like um, kind of fear fearful responses based on what people think sharing data is. But I think that it can be whatever works for you in your lab but mm-hmm. the that, that ideal should be that you will eventually share your data. And hopefully that eventual is not that long. Right. And I think we we have a section later on dedicated to fears. We were going to try to put
0: fears last. Yes. We're going to talk about all the good things about it. And then if you feel yes. afraid, <laughs> we'll
1: try to acknowledge your fears at the end. Yes. <laughs> but that idea that, you know, it can be flexible. So that's a good yeah. thing about it. Right. And you can preset. Uh, what data sharing looks like to you
0: it's like another tool you have another another main goal of this project of any project that you're writing now any grant that you're writing now so an, an additional sort of direction that you should go with it is how do you get it out and so thinking about there's lots of ways to collect data there's lots of ways to disseminate your data and there's lots of ways to share your data so you can you can it's very bespoke do what works for you <laughs> Bespoke data. <I> <laughs> 2020 is the year of bespokeness
1: yeah <laughs> um you just reminded me of something just that we didn't cover this is just very quickly that open data is kind of typically considered in the broader realm of open science mm. so data sharing is with or open data is within da- uh, open science mm-hmm. and so um uh that is just kind of one that you've mentioned it as a tool. So it's one of the tools kind of in the open science framework. I didn't right. mean to say that because that's actually the name of the <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> organization. But yeah, I don't a, mean it's... the formal name of the organization. I mean, just this place of sets of tools of open science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things
0: you can use. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of the other things that I think is really important for us to talk about is it's it's not enough to just put your CSV file or your Excel file mm-hmm. or SPSS file somewhere that people can get to it. The, the problem with doing that is that you have a lot of institutional knowledge about your data sets that the person who's going to pick up the data set doesn't have. And so um, it, it's the opposite of an if you build it, they will come situation. Mm-hmm. It's actually an if you build it, they won't come unless you describe it really, really, really well. <laughs>
1: Really well. <laughs> yeah, I I would say that, and, and the colleagues that I work with on our data repository grant who think about this all the time, the librarians definitely say mm-hmm. metadata is the most important part of data sharing. Yeah, um, metadata being the definition mm-hmm. of
0: the data that describes the data. So the yeah, <laughs> medicine. <laughs> feel like we're in again P dimensional space here. Meta yeah, is really, about meta science and metadata. We
1: really love meta topics.
0: <laughs> so yes, that's that's the concept of it is making sure you have a really good description of what meta of what the data set is, what's in it, and um, why the data were collected even.
1: Yes, exactly. And so some people might not think of that, right, because there's lots of kind of pieces to good metadata, and, mm-hmm. and metadata really is plural. Um, so yeah, describe the rationale for the project, the context of the project, the general protocol, sort of the stuff that you might talk about in like the the methods and procedures section of, um, or materials and procedures section of a paper, but mm-hmm. in more detail, give context to somebody who is literally going to click on a data repository and see your data and have know nothing about your project. Mm-hmm. So what would you like them to know? What were the strengths and limitations of your project? You know, any, any kind of the important details um, of your project. So you want to describe the rationale for your project. Um, you also want to think about describing the measures that are just, dis- you know, that are, held within the data sets. So that yeah, both the... in terms of
0: what, what measures were used to collect it. So something like naming it if it's a standardized test, mm-hmm. naming what the standardized test is, and then describing what, sorts of, what that task looks like and why, why it's given. You can't always tell the actual items that were on a measure, but you can describe the sort of overall what you were, what you were going for.
1: Oh, um, and my goodness, I have learned this the hard way, but also include the citation.
0: Mm, yes definitely include the citation
1: <laughs> for like a big standard like the woodcock johnson you know tests of achievement everybody knows that one but trust me you will forget what that one behavioral questionnaire you gave to the teachers Ugh. where you found that questionnaire even if you know the name of it
0: oh god so, yes you will
1: citation citations of where you got it or a link are very are very very important um
0: <laughs> the other one that we have listed here that um as a person who's a data analyst and uses mm-hmm. lots of people's data, one of the most useful things is the data dictionary. And a data mm-hmm. dictionary is not a concept that I was really familiar with until, I don't know, maybe five or 10 years ago. And it's, it's kind of like if you've used SPSS, you can go to the variable label tab. There's like a tab that explains like here's the name of the variable and here's a short description. It's kind of like that, but it's mm-hmm. freestanding in its own little CSV document. So you can say, what was the variable name for age? And then you can have it open right there on the next tab over and sort of see so that you can pull it up and get your descriptive information or whatever it is you're looking for. Um, and that really helps for the reuse of the data. Not as a little bit with the finding of the data, but certainly with the reuse of the data once, once someone's working on it.
1: Yeah, um, it's really difficult to open up somebody else's data. Mm-hmm. I'm actually doing this right now for a data set when you don't have a data dictionary. And you're like, what does AP396W mean? Because <laughs> that's the variable name that you're looking at. And that's all you have.
0: <laughs> I have a guess, actually. I think I know what that one means.
1: I just made that totally <laughs> up. If I had started it with WJ, you would have known what it was. And so... <laughs> so, yeah, that, you know.
0: But yes, you I- don't know what it is. And and I name things similarly across projects. Sometimes you don't, sometimes there you can have all kinds of, of rules. We have, Oh, we have so much to say about data management and naming variables and things like that. But I think For another day, a whole
1: a whole other podcast. But I will say, you know, why a data dictionary? You know, we're talking a lot about this from the viewpoint of an eventual data user. Mm -hmm. But I also will say that these practices should be in everybody's lab because you will eventually be your own data user. And trust me, you will forget what those variable names are <laughs> <laughs> have a good data dictionary oh my god even if it's just a printout of your SPSS, mm-hmm. the variable view you know
0: <laughs> it just Sometimes. really makes all the difference
1: mm-hmm. In yeah.
0: if once you've used one you'll never you'll never not use them again
1: that's true even
0: the simplest projects that I'm that I do anything with like even just a few variables I still have a data dictionary it just makes it so much easier yeah um, to use things so that's like... Okay, so that's all. Yeah,
1: that's metadata. Yeah. <laughs> um, right? There are the very important piece of data sharing is metadata. Mm-hmm. But okay, let's talk a little bit about the data. So what do you do for the data to get it ready? Well,
0: you have to make sure that the data is good quality. Well, as best you can once it's been collected. Um... Yeah, so what does
1: that mean? <laughs>
0: Well, Sarah, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Too obvious of a setup. (laughs) I love that. That was great. Um, So there are these, there's principles called the FAIR principles, F-A-I-R, FAIR, which means that any data to be good quality should be findable, accessible, interoperable, which is a fun word, and reusable. So those are the fair principles which i think are explicitly cited within most open data policies or most data data sharing policies that exist yeah okay so then within for uh fair findable that means that you need to have good metadata which is what we just talked about a minute ago what metadata is a good description of the study maybe good keywords of the study so that when you search for it it's findable think about if you want to have something that you can find via a google search you want to make sure you have good descriptors, descriptive terms of, of your study so that people can find it. The other thing is a digital object identifier, which Mm -hmm. if you share your data, um, most data repositories where you can share data, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, most of them will give you a digital object identifier, which is a, a unique number that will always identify that data set. So you can always find it again later by searching for that, you know, 36 digit string of numbers. So that's yeah. the idea of findable. You want your data set to be findable by other people so that next one is accessible. You want to talk about accessible
1: data and why it's important and how it's yeah. different than findable. Yeah, so accessible is that people can access the data. It might sound kind of, you know, obvious, but um, this <laughs> means that, you know, not kind of not only can you search for it and find it, search for it usually via the metadata, but that you can then find where it is so it's a most good data sharing uh means that a data is in a readily accessible data repository uh, that has kind of clear guidelines of how you can either request access to the data or just simply download the data yourself mm-hmm. um now uh there uh yeah, I guess I'll, t- I'll say a little bit about the differences between data repositories. Um, like I've led on, I you know I'm building a data repository for the data of our field. That's called a d- kind of domain specific repository, and um, the our data repository is called LDBase, and it really is to hold the behavioral data, kind of educational sciences and developmental sciences data. So we are building it specifically for our community. Uh, another similar kind of data, uh, sorry, domain specific repository would be um, Data right, which holds the video data of our field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was built for that. So it's um narrowly focused to how hel- and then customized then to the needs of uh, our fields who wants to store d- video data. Another mm-hmm. example is um the child's or childes i actually don't know which way you pronounce that data repository <laughs>
0: so some people might call it c h i l d e s
1: oh that's true <laughs> Um, and that holds, right, the kind of written narrative samples of language mm-hmm. transcripts for the field. Um, so those are data, spe- those are domain specific data repositories. Then there's also kind of domain general data repositories, um, the ICPSRs of the world. So that's housed at the University of Michigan. It, it was when it first started something like in the 60s, a domain specific repository, but now they generally hold anybody's data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so There are many different types of data. uh, data, um, Dataverse is also another example of a domain general data repository. Uh, And so, uh, especially Harvard's uh, version of it. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, these are all kind of good data repositories that make your data accessible. With the A for accessible and the fair standards, know that, or sorry, for principles, know that um, accessible doesn't mean that all data necessarily has to be open, right? Mm-hmm. Accessible means that it can be accessed. I don't think I said that right. Accessed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to let it slide because yes. you're Canadian, but, know, you know.
1: i just blame it on the Canadian accent typically. <laughs> <laughs> accessed. Um, and, uh, and so uh, it can be accessed through um, a, an application to the principal investigator, or mm-hmm. it can be accessed just simply through a web search uh, and downloading the data. So accessible does not mean that all data is openly accessible, but that it, you can access it easily.
0: Right. That there's some sort of set guideline and way for people to get access to the data. Yes. Um, depending on what sort of level of security you really feel like you need
1: mm-hmm. for the Ex- data. Mm-hmm. So that's the A. So
0: the- okay. So then that's the I is next. And the yep. I is that fun word, interoperable. Oh. Um, isn't that fun? I really <laughs> like it. <laughs> the idea for, of interoperable is, uh, is if you've ever collaborated with someone who use a different statistical program than you use... And they try to send you the data file, and you try to open it, and you can't open it, or you open it, but everything's shifted over two cells, or there's like a whole bunch of blank spaces. That means it's not interoperable. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So to be interoperable, it's to store the data in a really general way, like a .dat file or a .csv file, something that most uh, software packages know how to read. And if you've got it stored like that, then anybody can open it. And it's easier to save for posterity. So like, Whatever you use in SPSS 20, if you save your file that way, it might not be compatible with SPSS 3027.
1: I don't know. I'm yeah. Assuming which is, that's a thing. Which is why typically to really be interoperable, I recommend that you don't use proprietary file formats like that. Mm-hmm. Because as any long-term user of something like SPSS knows, they change it quite a bit from time yeah. to time. Uh, and it could be the case that older files stored in that format can no longer be read. So yeah, kind of dim, you know. Uh, no longer
0: backwards compatible. Right? Yeah. So you have to restart. Um, so that's why you save them as a .dat file or something like mm-hmm. that. That makes it a little bit easier to open and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still can have all of the documentation about variable labels and variable values, things like that. Those are in your data dictionary and they're in your metadata. So you're still able to piece together what's happening within your data file.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the idea being, you know, interoperability means that a computer can read your data, but then also a person can read the data. And so mm-hmm. has, uh, is able to, to read that metadata uh, and understand the kind of referencing of the metadata to the actual data set. Um, mm-hmm. So that's also kind of part of the interoperability. And then I guess the last letter is the reusability or reusable. Uh Um, and again, this is metadata, see how important it is, uh, (laughs) uh, really kind of speaks to the first part of metadata that we talked to the context of the project. So not just the Uh variable view. Um, which technically would probably be in the findable part of the FAIR principles, but really kind of the, you know, that why the project happened, maybe the major research questions, where it happened, mm-hmm. who, who were the participants, kind of really broad, rich description of the data. Um, so that when a completely naive data user comes along and has no idea what your project's about, that they will not kind of inappropriately analyze your data yeah. uh, or draw inappropriate conclusions from your data because they've understood the full context of your data.
0: Mm-hmm. All and I think that reminds me of what we talked about last week, right? With something like the Hart and Risley study, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we didn't know that they collected that data by going into people's homes and the, the descriptive information of the people who were going into those people's homes, we wouldn't have had the tools we needed to really critique the method and sort of understand how differently we could analyze those data and draw different conclusions from those data. So, um, that's another example of why metadata can be really important to re-understanding what's happening within the context of any findings that you
1: do see. Mm -hmm. Um, another part of the reusableness of data is a data sharing license, right? Mm. So as a data depositor, you should consider how, um, You want your data to be used by other people. Uh, And so you want to typically, this is not always the case. You might have a very restrictive license because of reasons that are important to your project. Um, But to allow easy sharing and reuse kind of under really the full kind of idea of these fair uh, principles, um, you should use um, an easy Sort a license that allows that easy sharing, something like a Creative Commons Attribution-Share-Alike license or another kind of Creative Commons license. And I think that for some of the data sharing
0: repositories that I've used or that I've looked at, you know, th- this could feel a little bit overwhelming. I completely understand that we've just thrown a lot of jargon at you and tried to define it all. But um, a lot of the places that you can store data online are really good about helping you through this process um to make it a little bit more straightforward. And so something like choosing a license for how to how to store your data and how to um, how to you know what the creative commons license looks like and how you apply for it, it's actually very simple. It's time yep. consuming but it's it's simple and they... And a
1: good, and a good data repository actually should just make that pretty easy to assign mm-hmm. the 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 license.
0: Yep, absolutely true. Yeah, so now we've done a good job of throwing lots of jargon at you so yeah i
1: think well yeah i wanted to just something that we we didn't talk about was what you should do to make sure your data is ready to be posted online um mm. which is uh just to make sure that your data is clean some things that i do are um checking variable distributions making sure that there's no out of range values like for a questionnaire there was like a data entry mistake for a, 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 an out of range value or mm-hmm. yeah Or missing data when there shouldn't be missing data, potentially Mm -hmm. um, uh, recoding questionnaires or doing some scores of questionnaires um, if they Mm -hmm. need that, uh, kind of cleaning up your data that way. Um, And then also making sure your data is totally de-identified. Yeah. And de-identification is a a little bit of a
0: a multi-step sort of process trying to make sure that there's no way anybody can go into your file and figure out who's who. Um, so that, that's the idea behind data de- 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 identification. And there's a couple of different strategies you can use. But the, some of the easiest ones are make sure nobody's names are in it. Yeah, It's pretty obvious. No phone numbers, no addresses, no zip codes even. And then mm-hmm. like no names of schools
1: mm-hmm.
0: where, uh, where kids go to school um, are, are other things to make sure you take out.
1: Yeah, a good list to kind of start. It's not specific. We're actually building a list for our field through our data repository work. But um, a good place to start is there is a HIPAA has created a list of variables that they believe are identifiable. So that's a good Mm. place. You can kind of look. There's like they have a website where they they list the variables. Um, And uh, also things that we think about at least are cross tabs identification. Mm. You know, so an example for this might be that um, you know uh, potentially if you're working with teachers let's say already it's probably fairly rare to have you know people who identify as male in your sample mm-hmm. uh, but not rare enough to identify a specific person but if you then also have someone who identify, self-identifies as black and as male then that might very quickly narrow down to very only one person in mm-hmm. a district or a regional area, um, and so that kind of cross tabs, that two pieces of identify, sorry, two pieces of information about that about a given participant could be found once you you look across those two variables. Um, and so mm. we recommend at least the recommendation is um, that you should have an n of five to ten uh, in any given cell uh, when you do that sort of kind of cross tabs descriptive look at your data Mm -hmm. so that yeah
0: that makes total sense so five those that five to ten rule
1: um Mm -hmm.
0: similar with um kids with disabilities sometimes we in getting that information you might only have a limited number of kids with disabilities in Mm -hmm. your sample um sometimes when i get data like that i have parents or teachers describe the iep and so that that is data that i would have under extra protection or Mm -hmm. not, not release at all, depending on just how much detail is in those IEP records.
1: Yeah. And so you brought up a kind of a broader good point, Jess, that really there are so many ways to handle de-identification and like the, the, there is a considerable amount of research that got, that has gone into what makes good mm-hmm. data de-identification and some of it is very deep and very technical. Um, but know yeah, that there are many different solutions to handle that. And it's not necessarily the case that you should just set that variable to be missing because right. that's actually not very useful for data reuse. Yeah. It's, reading about this de-identification stuff, I think
0: is very cool, but that's probably because That's the kind of thing I would think is very cool. (laughs) 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 But things like randomly inserting fake data a little Mm -hmm. bit, not enough to change your actual estimates, but you know, you have like 2% of data that you introduce that's completely randomly generated so that then you don't know if each person is an actual person or if it's a random point. Um, I thought that was really cool. Anyway, there's lots of really interesting ways to handle that. Um, If you really want to get fancy, but I, yeah, maybe beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about today, but you definitely can, however fancy you want to get about it. You can,
1: you can dig into it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that was all that I was going to say about thinking about how to make your data, to share your data. Um, And so maybe we'll talk a little bit about why you should want to share your data. Yeah. There's so many good reasons. I think so. That,
0: uh, because, I I mean, the first one we already mentioned, right, at the beginning, we just sort of started with, hey, funding agencies are making use, so mm. get used to it, which yes. is pretty
1: unsatisfying. Honestly. Yeah, this, you're supposed to, <laughs> yeah. you know, you don't own your data, that argument. You're right. It is said quite often, but I have. The taxpayers own the money, yeah, own the data. I, although true, incredibly useless not yes. useful <laughs> in not changing convincing. yeah and changing people's minds about data sharing um mm-hmm. so that one i uh dislike uh yeah. but um Uh, especially for us in developmental science, I would say a lot of people are very motivated to help kids, right? In the end, you're interested Mm. in kind of translational goals, you know, like making your research matter for your participants' lives or for Mm -hmm. people similar to your participants. Um, And I think that sharing your data kind of opens up the possibility of that happening more than Mm. your data just sitting on your laptop or your computer and um only you and potentially your small staff coming up with research questions or ways to use that data uh, sure. instead allow kind of the creativity of the field to, you know, approach your data and open up the, the innovation that could be found in your data, but it comes from new, new brains, new people, kind of new voices coming at your data. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you can, by data sharing, you can um, help the people that you want to help with your science.
0: Yeah. I think related to that, you have, um, you know, a new person can come at your data with such different ideas Mm -hmm. and they really will open up research questions that you never would have thought possible before. Um, and that is so cool to see it happen. I think many of us, I don't know, I've worked in labs and seen people come in a new postdoc comes in and they say, hey, have you ever thought about looking at your data like this? And then we all go, oh, no, that was so cool, right? And yeah. that's like, think about just how much of that could be happening with more and more brains looking at data like this.
1: Yeah, exactly. <sighs> um, there, There is a, it's an older citation now, but one of the original investigators of the Child as Data Repository published in around 2000, a paper where he looked at... Um, the number of citations that he couldn't account for by the original investigators. Mm. Uh, so there had been something like 5,000 papers. No, I'm sorry. There had, I think that's how it was. He, there had been 5,000 papers published using the Child as Data report. Holy moly. Wow. By 2000. And he reasoned that there's no way that just the original investigators or at, at that point had been like 250 transcripts inside Childness, um, that if each one of those was a separate investigator, there was no way that those 250 investigators could have published that much work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of the, 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 the knowledge building there alone of having that open data, you know, is I think... And That's that was huge. in 2000. Yeah. And it, it just other fields where uh, data sharing has been more normal, like um, physics mm-hmm. or astronomy, um, They, the reason why it is normal is because they have seen the power of data sharing um, and seen the power of having large teams of people working on a research question, um, working on the same data. That's so cool. Yeah. And another kind of interesting way, uh, another interesting benefit, I think, of sharing data to science is... Um, Let's say you work in um, uh, an area where you work in a very specific subset of participants, so Mm -hmm. like a a very rare disorder or something like that, where it's difficult to recruit a lot of participants, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, by sharing your data, potentially other people who work in other parts of the world on a similar Participants have similarly small data sets, but when combined, ah. can uh, can uh, allow you to potentially do more, you know, inferential statistics that you would not have been able to do with your small data set, um, mm-hmm. and so kind of opens up the power of of data combination uh, that you know that's you know low end studies can can get to be higher end or more interesting research questions can be seen or can be found or sorry asked (laughs) sure (laughs) one combining data sets (laughs) oh that's such a great idea yeah
0: connecting people together so that you're able to get more and more information about the same type of really rare disorder or same type of really rare population
1: or even you know i'm an individual differences researcher mentioned that a few times (laughs) right and so I collect pretty large samples but even a large sample in my field even like hundreds to thousands of uh, participants if you think about your data is on a normal distribution Mm -hmm. right and if you're interested in the tails of that normal distribution it is mathematically a fact that you will have a much smaller n at that tail yeah Uh, and so even with what is a pretty large sample of thousands of kids at the tail is still going to be small and so kinda, even if you're not doing just rare samples, but you're interested in normal individual differences, if you are interested in particular areas of that normal curve, you need bigger N. Yeah. And there's one way to get it. Share more data and yeah. look
0: for data that's been shared by others. Mm-hmm. Um, another really important uh, reason to data share is that you're going to be helping out junior investigators or maybe otherwise under-resourced investigators that are in your field. So they may not have access to federal grants right away, or they might be at not, not an R1 or at an institution that doesn't have support to be able to um, help and have the infrastructure in place to manage a really big grant. Um, and so they can't really collect the kind of data that you can possibly collect. And by sharing that, you're really um, opening up the uh, sharing the wealth, I guess is the way I would put it. You're providing opportunities for lots of different people.
1: Yeah, I would say pretty consistently when I give talks on the data repository that we're building and give talks to like people within our field, Mm -hmm. um, that the most excitement I receive are people like you just described. Um, You know, doctoral students, I don't have access or resources to collect the data that that they need to answer the research question they're interested in um or yeah people at small universities that are don't have large <clears throat> that don't get big grants or right. have or people even at big universities who have been unsuccessful in getting grants you know funding rates are low these days yeah uh, okay. and you know you know you can provide like typically you know high quality data to you know democratize data in our field
0: yeah Open it up, get it out to more people. Yeah, um, and then the last one I have here is that you're just helping yourself because mm-hmm. once if you've done a good job with the fair principles and your data is findable and accessible and reusable and interoperable, then <laughs> you can uh, you get a DOI or a digital object identifier, and then people can cite you. So that then when if you've shared your data, then you have people using your data, they cite your data. And then when you're going to tell your program officer, look at how great my grant did, you can say, I had these 25 other people access the data and use it for dissertations and theses and theses, whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, other investigators at all these different places are using this data.
1: Um, yeah, that's so cool. It's a citable product data, you know, and you can cite it on your CV, you can cite it in grant yeah. reports, like you said. Yeah. So I mean. For people who love new lines on their CV, why not win get win? one for sharing the data, you know, of your project? Um, there was also, uh, there's been just a little bit of empirical work that's looked at this, but there was a paper that suggested that um, that people who share their data, so uh, uh, papers who have shared data along with them have a 9% citation bump over what? papers without open data. Uh, oh my God. So, so potentially your paper you know, if you if you release data from a project or for a paper, um, uh-huh. you will get more citations on that paper if you have open data that accompanies it.
0: Oh my gosh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like double extra reasons to do it. Yeah, so kind of if we think within the metrics that are within our field right now, things like citations, things like number of publications or number of publishable units um, as being kind of important for how we determine success in this field and we will not get into whether that's appropriate or not, but that is the, the where we are right now in our field, then mm-hmm. open data or sharing your data is just a way Another... to play in that. Yeah. A way to play that game.
0: Mm-hmm. And to actually help. I mean, I, we, we'd sort mm-hmm. of hinted at this. You can ask more questions, but I, I really think you're, we are advancing the pace of science tremendously by doing it this way. And then again, yeah. as a methodologist, one of the other things I love about data sets, you know, there's there's really like four big open data sets in education. There's like ad health, and that's the older kids. You've got Head Start Impact Study um, and the uh, NLSY and then the high school and beyond data set. Those are the four big ones. And pretty much any statistical method that you use now was invented and tested on one of those four data sets. And so if the data, the kind of data that you have isn't really represented in the sort of statistics that you, like the questions that you want to be asking or the statistics that you want to use, if you're get your data out there that has different sorts of problems, then statisticians have new problems to work on and they have new ways to start inventing statistics for you. Right mm-hmm. now, you know, they've, they've been trying to solve the same problem for a really long time. That's a little bit mean. They've, they have made a lot of, Excellent advances and strides, but I think that there's a lot more problems out there than are represented in those four data sets. There's a lot of really unique questions that could be um, that could be asked of data that I think, if we can get more data out there, more data sets out there, I think we'll have more and more new statistical methods as well, which is a good thing. Um, yes, more stats <laughs> is
1: always a good thing. <laughs>
0: ask different kinds of questions of your data that's always fun
1: yeah it is um okay so let's say that uh we've sold an investigator on data sharing all right so how are they going to do it well
0: i'm glad you asked
1: (laughs) I guess probably for good data sharing, it's likely the easiest to start at the beginning of a project. It's not impossible, but, you know, um, at the beginning of a project, you can really kind of lay out all of the steps for yourself to make it a little bit easier, starting at your informed consents. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there is, I have found, I've been reading a lot of people's informed consents to... um, for part of our database our repository grant work. And I see a lot of kind of proverbial tailbone IRB language of informed cons- that, like hold over language of like the nineties. Oh, IRBs of what should be an informed consent. I see. Like it's, it's talking about how you're, you're going to destroy the data at this certain date. all that, like this, this language that we, you know, potentially your advisor had this language in their informed consent. And so that's why you have it in your informed consent. You haven't even mm-hmm. really thought much about that language. You just skip over it. It's just in every template that you do of every informed consent. Um, that's, that type of language is not necessary anymore. And in fact, IRBs know that the culture is towards data sharing these days. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they actually do not even think that de-identified data is even human subjects anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the new common rule no longer uh, account, even for children. It yeah. now says de-identified data is not human subjects, even when it's minors. So, you know, they are totally pro data sharing. Uh, so don't purposely put restrictive language in your informed consent. That doesn't need to be there. Mm. Um, unless, you know, you feel like it needs to be there, but think about it. Think about the language that you're putting in your mm. informed consent. Um, data management managers, right from the start, like we've said, we're not going to fully get into that because we think that's a whole topic that we're going to deep dive into in another podcast. Yeah. But that helps you get good, clean data to share eventually. To share
0: eventually. Yeah, exactly. If you know what you've collected and you know, um, well, you've already run the checks and made sure that your data doesn't exist outside of the realm of where you think it should exist, right? You didn't collect something that should have had a score of one to seven and somebody has a 23 that kind of thing. So that's that's a pretty simple data check you can do um, mm-hmm. to make sure that it's ready to go. Um, I guess another one is to make sure uh, that you have, again, well-documented your data. We talked a little bit about that, the sort of mm-hmm. metadata pieces of it. Um, and then you have to find some place to put it.
1: Yeah. Sort of oh, yeah.
0: It, but yeah, that's really important. You need to, you can't, it's not
1: enough to put it on your website Necessarily, No, I mean, you can do that, but really a good data repository is a better place. And why I, why we are building a data repository specific for our field is that it's nice to have a central place that people know to go to, to find the data that they're interested in, mm-hmm. right? Because a data, a potential data user doesn't know your data exists. Mm -hmm. And so a regular Google search of your data is going to be really difficult. But if you put it in a data repository that people of your field know about and go to, then your data will be more findable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yeah, being thoughtful about where you store your data is useful. And some data repositories cost money and some don't. You know, there are kind of factors to think about um, when you're choosing a data repository.
0: Yeah. And so if that is all feeling like, an awful lot. You know, there are people like Sarah and me who've mm-hmm. been thinking about this stuff, and there are many other people who are thinking about this stuff, it's certainly not just us, about how to share data. And so having a methodologist get involved on your project can help you work on that, that uh, data sharing plan. Um, so looking around for people who are methodologically inclined, they may be interested in this stuff and helping you get this um, sorted out.
1: The other thing is that librarians, this is what they do. It is. And, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't until the librarian pointed this out to me that I realized all librarians do is curate data.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That data, we think of data like ones and zeros in a spreadsheet. But to librarians, books are data, too. You know, newspaper articles. all. Mm-hmm scanned pictures doesn't matter it's all data and they're all they are managing that data and storing it using fair principles uh and uh they are wonderful resources for thinking about your data even though our data looks a little bit different than you might imagine books in a library look it all falls under kind of the same way of thinking about how to um to to do this mm-hmm. and they get trained in it when they go to library school they get trained in this the the project management data management training that librarians get is incredible yes. i have seriously considered that all my phd students should take classes over there yeah. um because <laughs> they get well trained in this Now, not everyone so,
0: has library science but if you are lucky enough to be somewhere near one um mm-hmm. the, a lot of them actually also have to do like an internship toward the end of your their data uh-huh. science or library science training. So if you know any librarians, chat with them about it. They may be interested in um, providing you some students and some expertise in this particular area. Um, mm-hmm. I've read several articles by librarians, and they're just absolutely fascinating the way they think about data. It's so cool. Yeah,
1: I agree. Um, the, you know, we have a librarian as a co-investigator on our grant for the data repository. So mm. they are a, a major part of our team. They are doing the coding to build the data repository. So um cool. you know that they, they have the training in this, so <clears throat> seek them out, especially ones that they might have like academic librarian or research librarian in their title mm-hmm. um, they It's a kind of a newer breed of librarian um that is specifically being trained to work alongside researchers, scientists mm-hmm. um, to help science. Uh, It's a way that the libraries are kind of re-envisioning themselves when like big buildings filled with books aren't really like the way things are going right now. And so they said, how can how can we help scientists on our campus? And I think so probably we'll be able to provide
0: some links to different databases that exist and some suggested readings. And we'll put those on the show notes if you want to
1: dive into this a little bit more. Yeah. So do you want to finish up just with... (laughs) Maybe we haven't convinced everybody yet. Maybe not.
0: Maybe you have some lingering fears. So in chatting with some of our colleagues, we've, we've collected some, uh, I don't know, fears. There's a word I'm looking for. Some sort of the sort of pervasive fears, there's a the word, that seem to come up anytime we talk about data mm-hmm. sharing. Um, so I think let's take turns and I'll, and I'll start
1: <laughs> the first I'm one lucky. we have is, we have, we have seven of them at least, okay. <laughs> but we'll try to May... keep them all short. <laughs> yeah. We'll keep them short or we'll skip. Cause we've, we've heard many, uh, we have yeah. heard many. Yeah. Um, Do you want it? You said
0: you're going to go first. Yeah. I'll go first. The first one I have here is what if somebody scoops me and we covered this a little bit before. So I think some people are afraid that I'm going to put my data out there and then somebody's going to publish on the main aim before I publish my main aim. And the answer is that won't happen because you're going to publish your aims first, and then you'll share your data. First of all, you can do it that way if that's really a fear that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is that, yeah, sometimes that happens, and sometimes it happens when you don't share your data. I yeah. certainly, you know, I've been asked to review an article that's like identical to one I'm already writing. I bet that's happened to many of us, and you sort of—it's just infuriating. So you aren't going to get scooped, though. Exactly. You. You will maybe contribute to multiple pieces of the same narrative, but nobody's getting scooped. That's not a thing. No,
1: I really challenge people to consider if you were accessing, finding on the web a data set, what are the chances that you would come up with the exact same research Mm. questions that the investigator, the primary investigator was planning to to ask? No way. No, like you said, they might be close. It might be coming at it from different angles, but the exact same approach, it's just, that's the type of work that we do it's just not very common mm-hmm. um and so uh yeah so that you know b- people are very concerned about that but you're right i think that uh it could already happen it does already happen mm-hmm. um and i don't i haven't really seen the case for it actually happening with shared data yeah same just a lot of fears but not actually not actually hearing a real it's like a rumor of it happening yeah <laughs> exactly it's a little well, just a like a, a tale that we tell to, mm-hmm. to scare people. It's a, An urban legend. An ur- that's the word I was looking for. A tale to tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that term called? <laughs> oh, this next one's an urban legend too. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, I've heard that some people can't get their paper published at a journal when the journal finds out that the data were open.
0: So my response to that is, no, you didn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is similar to a yeah okay I won't get into that. there's another open science uh, fact uh, uh, piece called uh, um, uh, oh goodness yeah, brain just stopped uh, called um, preprints. And that similar occasionally that 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 kind of urban legend fear, potentially one time on Twitter, somebody said that it happened to them, but then a few days later they said it didn't that actually the journal took it back. It was a mistake. um That's what happened in the most recent case I saw uh, but yeah, so you know that we just don't think that that's happening,
0: yeah, and if even if maybe that did happen, there's a hundred other places that they are delighted that your data is open. I know that lately, when I've been submitting articles, it asks me is this data open and you have to like mm. click and say yes yeah, this data is open want and it. available yeah they want people to be able to go in and you know check and make sure everything's if they want to they can go in and look at it
1: and i might say our field developmental science because we have had this rich history of these big uh, publicly available data sets like the nlsy mm-hmm. or you know the Eccles or whatever it is or ecls i've been told it's called yeah. um, <laughs> That uh, you one know, you know there is Yeah, there is more of a tradition of this. And so I think that journals are just more used to this idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next one is, what about
0: privacy? Like my, um, some people have said things like, I don't, I didn't, uh, I'm going to lump this with this one, which is they, I didn't get the human subjects approval initially. Like this wasn't Mm in my IRB before. And it wasn't in the things that people signed before. They
1: informed consent. They actually have said, we will not share these data. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so a lot of people's informed consents do say.
0: So now what do I do? And it turns out that most- I have
1: an idea, Jess. (laughs) Tell us, Sarah, what is the idea? (laughs) No, you. I keep interrupting you. We both wanted to say I I think my idea is different than your idea, though. Go ahead. Well, I think most,
0: most IRBs are actually okay with it. I mean, one of the things you can do is- if your IRB is not okay with it, you can potentially reconsent your participants. But I, most of the time, that's not feasible. Um, what were you going to say?
1: Yeah, so most IRBs in my discussion, with IRBs and my, the director of my IRB is really getting to know me quite personally, uh, <laughs> <laughs> based on all the questions I ask him about this. Um, is uh, there is something called a waiver of consent? You can ask your IRB. It doesn't even have to be the original IRB. It's whatever IRB counts you as their person. So Mm -hmm. your current university's IRB or current institution um, that you can request a waiver of consent. And so you give them your old informed consents. You give them a data dictionary, an idea of what you're doing that you want to, you want to openly share your data for this Mm -hmm. old project, de-identified data, and that you need the IRB to... Um, look back on that old consent and agree that times are to change now, and mm. that um, that it, it, there is no increase in risk to uh, having open de-identified data, and that they can they do have the power to waive that initial informed consent.
0: That's cool. Um, in
1: that one area,
0: mm-hmm. well, I so do th- think that most IRBs are concerned with active data collection and the safety of the participants, and they're less concerned with dealing with the data once it's already been collected. They care a lot less about
1: that. De-identified data is not human subjects, right? They don't even think of it under their purview. What they are concerned about is the original informed consent is binding. And Mm -hmm. so if if a participant signed that informed consent and it said you will not share it, uh, then they do count that as binding, e- de- even though they don't think of de-identified data as um, a- as human subjects. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so that it is for most universities, most institutions, that w- it is a pretty easy system to request that waiver of consent. And most IRBs are open to doing it these days. Mm-hmm. So another potential concern about sharing data, it's expensive.
0: Yeah, doy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everybody else in the kingdom gets it um so yes but things worth doing are expensive um collecting data is expensive this is just another little piece of time and energy and effort and a little bit of money that you need to spend in order to make sure that your data is high quality and it's reusable and it's findable and accessible and that um In the long run, it's way cheaper. But if you think about the alternative is someone else has to go out and collect all new data too, then it's much more expensive to do it that way. So it's way cheaper for the world. It's way cheaper in the long run to invest a little bit more time and a little bit more energy when you're actually doing the data collection. So go ahead and archive it. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's something for people to consider if they are the type of people that go for grant funding, this is an allowable expense on all grant budgets. Yes, it is. So you, you can have staff to do this for you or some place like ICPSR will give you a, an, a, a budget amount of what it will cost for their staff to do this mm-hmm. for you um and you know whatever your level of comfort with doing kind of the things that you have to do to your data to you know and creating metadata mm-hmm. um you know that it is a budget it, it is a budgetable item yeah and so consider that and if your science isn't uh the type of science that goes for funding you know you're not a funded investigator um you know that that the, the, the The expense will likely be in your time or somebody in your lab's time, like a student that works for you's time. Mm -hmm. But um, we think that it is still important because of all the good reasons that we said. Um, Okay, another concern that we've heard uh, is why would anybody want to collect data if all data were open and freely available?
0: This one makes me so angry. (laughs) Do you know what this is? This (laughs) is
1: the slippery slope fallacy.
0: That's what this is. This Mm -hmm. is if you want to go back to your... Intro to philosophy, this is like, it's a logical fallacy. If, um, if data is free, then why would anybody ever spend the time collecting it? It's just like, so, but of course they would. First of all, a lot of the things that we're doing in education is someone invents a new intervention and they want to test where the intervention works. You have to collect that data. You can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you can get in a good situation like you have, Sarah, where you're able to tap into people who are already collecting some data. But you're going to collect the rest. You have to collect the implementation data. You have to, like, make sure that your teachers are doing what they say they're going to do. you gotta, I mean, there's all got to get the demographic data. You, there's all kinds of data that you have to still get. People are going to keep collecting data. Also, maybe you have a new measure that you want to make up and you think it's really cool. You're going to go out and collect that data. People are always going to collect data. Period. Yeah,
1: even my, myself, Jess, right? I joke that I let other people collect data for me, but mm-hmm. it's not fully true. Every single project I've ever had has had a data collection piece. Mm-hmm. It has, yes, in all cases, there has always been a, 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 a data shared with me. There has been a piece to every project I've run that has had somebody else collect the data. So mm-hmm. it's been shared data, but every one of those projects has also had new data mm. collection. So you, you claim this is not an urban legend, but instead kind of a logical fallacy. Yeah, that it's, this it's is literally a logical actually. fallacy. It's
0: taking a simple idea and pushing it to the extreme where it will never actually go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, if you, <laughs> what's, what's the example of that? It's like, uh, if we allow, if we let people jaywalk, then tomorrow everybody's going to be murdering people, right? That's, that's uh, it's yeah. the, it's a slippery slope fallacy so this little yeah. you let this little thing slide then the next thing you know this this is this is going to happen you so i think that's all this is it's just a, a someone not thinking this one all the way through okay <gasps> sorry if you're not okay. thinking this all the way through and you believe that but eh. it's a, it's a logical <laughs> fallacy you need to be aware when so- you're
1: thinking them Sorry, not sorry. Uh, (laughs) So the last one. (laughs) Oh, this is such a sad one to end on. But yeah, yeah, it is a sad one. I've heard this before. Um, And it's less about the expense or the time or how to do it or the concern. It's more personal. And it's, you know, in our field, data is hard to collect. Right. It's hard to get kids. It's It's hard hard. to go into schools. Uh, It's a lot of energy. And that. Some investigators have said to me that they think, you know, their data exists because of that hard work. They mm-hmm. have put in all this hard work and that other people kind of swooping in the data parasites idea and using mm-hmm. that data when not fully understanding the, how hard it was to collect and, the, and, and not only not understanding it, but not having felt it themselves. And then they get to reap the benefits of using your data. Uh, and so it's a really personal, that's a personal, um, objection to data sharing. Mm -hmm. And I, I've actually found it's one of the hardest ones to get over. Um, it is hard to change minds, um, that have that. And I get, you know, that, how can I tell someone not to think that, you know, they, they remember all of those project meetings. They remember all those hours with those kids, uh, and they're just not ready for somebody else to reap the benefit from it. Uh, and Mm -hmm. so how I think of it, at least when i approaching those situations, is um, to see where they potentially might be comfortable with sharing their data. You know, are they comfortable with putting their data on our data repository, but having it closed access so that somebody has to apply to use their data? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe um, somebody would be exciting as a collaborator would come along and they would collaborate on a project on their data. So they might, the investigator, mm-hmm. the, the data creator might be interested and sharing data with people they can collaborate with, or kind of like little like mi- miniature steps before fully just posting your data online. You know, mm-hmm. there are ways that you can still support somebody in data sharing who feels um, very personally attached to their data. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I hope that eventually what will happen, you know, we support those investigators and support them the best way we can, still with data sharing goals in mind, uh, and that in the end we can... Um, kind of change the field as well and broader culture changes might yeah. then encourage in the future, um, maybe a reduction in that type of thinking and more seeing just the benefit to society and to science, um, with data sharing.
0: Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one, because I, I, I do think that some people, they see it as sort of like, this is what my Advisor did, and that's what their advisor did, and so it sort of handed down that I worked hard for these, and they should be mine because that's how my advisor treated theirs. So I do think you're right that it's a, it is a culture shift. That um, I, I do think that the field is honestly right on the cusp of. I think we're really mm-hmm. close um, to to all being there.
1: And I think because of the high level action, the pressing down from the grant agencies and the federal government, I think that's helping the culture shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I do too. You know, so you have kind of the new up and coming people who are interested in open science generally, and then also kind of the top down, um, enforcement of these types of things on at least grant funded individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, support. We, I try to support investigators that have this mind frame for now and see how we can meet them in the middle or closer to them, even than the middle. Uh, and then with the hope, the long-term hope that this last concern, uh, might start going away. Yeah. Well, if
0: you have additional fears Mm. about data sharing, let us know what they are. You can reach out to us on Twitter or you can send us an email and we'll be happy to answer those either on the air or on the Twitter waves, Twitter waves. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you did. That works. Um, Yeah. So we can, we'd love to continue this conversation. Um, It's something that clearly we can talk about for a long time also. Clearly. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) I guess that's all then.
1: Yeah. Thanks for for listening to us talk about data sharing. Yeah. Best of luck.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Within and Between. For information about this and all our episodes, you can visit our website, withinandbetweenpod.com. Connect with us on Twitter at within underscore between where you can send us questions about developmental science and developmental sciencing. See you next time.